Welcome to the Activation Project, where we activate your mind, activate your tribe, and activate the world. My name is Olivia Eden, and I'm here with my co-host, Paloma Cifuentes. Hi, everyone. It's so good to be back. We took a few weeks off, but we are super excited to be here today. Yes, and we're going to start it off with a banger here. We have an amazing entrepreneur. He is a business coach, executive coach. He's highly talented and driven. He's very passionate about what he does. And most of all, he is, I want to say, almost 100% activated. He just follows his intuition. And we actually met through a mutual friend of ours who said, you guys just have to meet. You're on the same page with a lot of your beliefs and philosophies and mindsets. And sure enough, we had dinner and really, really connected over a lot of mutual topics and themes. And I had the pleasure of getting to work with him and doing a journey with him. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. He's going to tell us about his story. But with no further ado, I want to introduce Omri Agam. Hey guys, great to be here. Very good to have you here. So just before we started recording, we were actually talking about how tribulations and crises usually precede transformation and breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. And how I think we've all kind of been experiencing those lately. And obviously, there's like a couple of ways you can confront that, you know, like with excitement, because you know that a breakthrough is coming or dread, because this is in time that you're going through it. But usually, without a doubt, there's something amazing that comes out on the other side of the tunnel. What are some of those transitional dilemmas that you've been facing recently, Omri? And then we'll backtrack. I'm such a believer in the fact that the farther you feel, you know, when you are in kind of a place where you feel like I'm completely lost and I'm completely stuck and the mind is basically trying to convince you that there's no way out, that it's basically hopeless. Like that moment is actually the closest you've ever been to your next breakthrough. Mm. There's an amazing story from the Old Testament that like illustrates that perfectly that I'd be happy to go into with you guys at some point. But to me, it's like one of my favorite sections of kind of the Bible. And Go for it. I want to hear. So it's the story of the golden calf, which is very famous Old Testament story. And the idea is the Israelites, and this kind of also connects to the whole journey that I've been on recently because it was this period of the year that I went through all this stuff. Right. Um, Omer? Yeah, the Omer, which is kind of Passover- in the 49 days that follow. So Passover represents kind of the liberation of the Israelites from slavery, which is really an allegory for like a spiritual deliverance or a spiritual awakening. And the idea is on Passover, everyone gets the opportunity to get liberated. It's a kind of a free light of liberation, whether you've earned it or not. And the 49 days that follow are the period called the Omer, which is also the period I was born in. My name's connected to that. And it's like, that's the period where you earn the light that you received on Passover. I'm not religious, but I love these spiritual concepts, right? And so the Israelites get liberated because of a series of plagues. They watch all these miraculous things happen. They're liberated from slavery. They cross the Red Sea, like the sea parts for them, another miracle, right? And they just watch themselves go through this journey of like miraculous deliverance. Manna from heaven. Yeah, exactly. And then they get to Mount Sinai to receive the Torah, the Old Testament, basically. And the story is that they actually hear the voice of God deliver the Ten Commandments to them. So they're literally experiencing what we all experience on a much different level when we go through our journeys, Mm -hmm. right? Like miraculous moments and synchronicities and these just serendipitous things and moments where we just know so powerfully the truth. And then you get to dark points where the mind 
just tries to convince you to disregard everything you just saw, basically, right? And that's basically what happened. So after they received the Ten Commandments, Moses goes up Mount Sinai to get the Torah, basically, to get the Old Testament. He's supposed to be gone for 40 days. They miscalculate his return by six hours. That's like what the story says, right? So they're expecting him to come back after 40 days, and he doesn't return when they expect. And in that moment, they just get blitzed by their own inner darkness, their own inner opponent, right? Who basically convinces them everything is lost. You're hopeless. Your leader is gone. God is not with you. Like, you are fucked. That moment that we all get to on our journey of like that dark night of the soul, right? That moment where you feel the farthest. And in that six-hour period, they freak out. They like give up. And they decide to build like a false idol, a golden calf to worship. And go buck wild. Yeah, exactly. And Moses comes back six hours later, you know, that whole famous like scene where he throws the Ten Commandments, you know, and just like the kind of mystical interpretation of that story, like the sages who wrote about it afterwards say that like, if the Israelites had just held on for six more hours, the redemption of humanity would have happened then and there. Like, Mm. history as we know it would have ended then and there. And they gave up at, like, the most crucial time to not give up. You know, all the rest that's happened since then ended up happening, right? And it's, like, it's obviously an allegory, but it's, like, such a perfect representation of what we just said, you know? And I had multiple moments like that in the recent months where I just, like, get enough presence of mind to say, like, no, this is that. Like, you are the closest you've ever been. And sometimes it's been, like, just hang on, like it's coming. And a few hours later, I get the breakthrough that changes my life, you know? And I love that concept. Amazing. Yeah, there's so much there. Like for one, having those like stories, myths, parables, whatever they are to reflect on are so powerful for being able to reframe and shift your perspective and your mindset and to have that thing that you can hold on to. And secondly, it's just astonishing how selective our memory is, Mm -hmm. you know? just went through all of that and it's like fuck and thirdly that reminds me because that can come up uh, like I've recently discovered that I have an anxious attachment style and relationships or I feel like it gets particularly triggered by avoidance which I think is what happens but how quickly you can go from like being up to like okay like this is is the worst thing in a battle matter of like hours or like one message or like whatever it is yeah I call it forgetting the truth right it's like I don't don't (laughs) get it (laughs) you know and it's like when I first started on my journey I was shocked at how often we forget the truth but like you don't really know the truth in the beginning you only Mm. know the truth through experience Right. right and even still like I forget the truth a lot less often now. And if I do, it's like temporary amnesia, right? But you still have these moments where you like live your life and you feel like you just know so solidly, but something can come that's just so triggering or scary and you just forget. It's so amazing how that happens. It's pretty crazy. And I wonder if like we were meant to repeat this cycle because of... You know, like, that's just how we've gone through time. Like, we have to go through that. It's like these tests of faith. I think that's what the religious books call it. It's like we have to go through a test of faith to see. 
And that's something also I talk about like with the people that I work with. Once you commit to doing something and you like set your focus on something and you want to make it happen, you can usually expect that there's going to be some hurdles that are thrown at you, you know, pretty big hurdles. And they're basically to test your resolve about how committed Mm -hmm. you are. And the bigger the importance that it is, like if it's like your purpose, for instance, or it's like what you're supposed to be doing, the bigger the tests are going to be and the more trying of your faith you're going to have to go through. That is such a relief. It's such a relief that I'm not the only one that goes through all these hurdles. (laughs) (laughs) I was just talking about how I was having a hard time with, you know, just kind of getting back on track after receiving my mom's news that she's going to come visit. I went through some tips. And it's just so crazy how easily you can forget everything that you learn yeah. about how to cope with certain emotions whenever you're in high anxiety. So easy to just forget. And it always is helpful to have someone to fall back on and talk to. I'm so thankful that I get to talk to Olivia. Yeah. She knows my story, so she kind of just lend a hearing ear and you know, just make me feel better about everything that's going on and give me some guidance. So. Mm-hmm. So we recently recorded a podcast on the topic of mother hunger, Mm -hmm. which obviously comes in a lot of different forms. Right. And her case is kind of unique. They came from Mexico without papers. And her dad was deported first when you were 11. That's correct. And then her mom when she was 13. Wow. Mm -hmm. So she, you haven't seen her since then? I haven't seen her. She was trying to cross a border in 2010 and she got caught in the border And they gave her a provisionary stay. So she was here for three months. I got to see her in 2010 for three months. And then she had to leave back to Mexico and haven't seen her since. So it's been about 11 years since I haven't seen her. So she had to like, yeah, since 13, like started Mm -hmm. working really young, going through school, like very wild story. And then her mom had her like struggles with her mental stuff. And it's so incredibly, you know, when we talked about the topic of mother hunger, I overthink my mental health because I saw my mom struggle with hers. And so as a mom, I have two babies. Every time that I'm feeling the pressure of like, you know, just the world wanting to be so successful that I'm, you know, overloading my plate because that's what I do sometimes. I always overthink like what's going on in my mind and my mind just starts going all kinds of different ways. And I tend to forget, you know, some of the things that I've learned on how to like get back in track and how to, you know, remind myself that I'm okay, that, you know, I'm not dying, that my kids are fine, that I'm doing the best that I can. But it's a struggle. It's a constant, you know, struggle that I have to keep up with. So it's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And so if it's okay, if we can segue maybe a little bit into your experience Mm -hmm. with mother hunger. And so part of the foundation of the activation project is the ACE and basically sort of the experiences of your life that has shaped you and kind of presented you with the set of tools and challenges that you face in Mm -hmm. your life. And I think that was a pretty substantial one for you. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you mind going into it a little bit? So I've never taken the ACE. Oh, okay. So, but just maybe your experience with mother hunger. Okay. For me, it was a mother that was very conditional and very harsh and scary and unsafe when you weren't doing things that met with her kind of expectations. So it wasn't only not receiving love, it was receiving like retribution in the form of physical abuse, mental, emotional abuse, and also just a lot of disappearing, you know, abandonment kind of emotionally. And so as a child, you know, 
I now know looking back on it, I didn't really realize it at the time, but I think I just felt not okay being me, you know, really not seen or heard for who I truly was, very conditionally accepted or loved, which just caused, you know, a tremendous amount of areas to do work on. And a lot of feelings of being unsafe and insecure and scared, you know, for my own well-being. Mm-hmm. And my parents are still together, still have a relationship with my mom, although it's been very strained throughout my life. And she's one of those people that helps me to forget as much as anything in life can forget the truth. You know, just that triggering kind of reaction that happens. It's been a tremendous amount of work to try to accept her for where she's at. And not only that, but the biggest kind of most powerful thing for me has been from a spiritual lens, knowing that I chose her and that I chose her for good reason, and that I needed her to facilitate the person that I was meant to be in this world and the work that I was meant to do. And so consciously, I have a tremendous amount of acceptance and even gratitude for her and all that I had to face with her. But underneath the surface, there's still a lot of working out to do and a lot of healing and a lot of growth. And that's part of, you know, the last kind of period, my Omer this year and beyond has really been focused on trying to get to the inner child and hold him and heal him in a way that I hadn't so far. Yeah, that is what I'm pretty sure, like with all the people that I've worked with, that that's one of the hardest challenges that you can get in life. Yeah is mother hunger. And just having the one person that's supposed to be nurturing and caring Mm -hmm. and supportive not being Mm -hmm. that. So I really want to honor the struggle. And also having heard a lot of your story, seeing how far you've come Mm -hmm. is incredible. And I wanted to ask you, like, when you were triggered before by her, what would your reaction have been as opposed to now? Like, how do you treat the triggers now or work with them or as opposed to before? So before I ever kind of started on this journey, I would just immediately go into, which has been, let's say, over the last decade, over my 30s. Uh, Before that, I would just get sucked into a completely unconscious state. The typical trigger from her comes very aggressively at me and my brothers, me more than anyone in our family. And I'm the oldest to just something between our soul's connections that she is my teacher in this life specifically. And it would be like her ego slash pain body, if you want to use like Eckhart Tolle terms, would just awaken mine and they would take me over and it would just be She would come aggressively and I would come straight back Mm. with aggression and it would just be two pain bodies or two egos barking at each other and a lot of volatility. Whereas when I was a child, I would basically be run over by her at some point, kind of even remember a moment where she like went to hit me and I like caught her hand and like had this like crazy, I was probably around 11 or 12, maybe 12. And it was like a, this like light bulb in both of our minds, like, whoa. This can't happen anymore, you know? That was with dogs once they like realize yeah. the power that they have. Yeah, it was it was a crazy thing. So that shifted away completely from any physical abuse or violence, but she maintained it in other ways. Her kind of typical mode, she's not like passive aggressive, right? She's aggressive. <laughs> just that's that's her mode. And so I would just meet it with aggression. Over the years that I've been on this journey and doing the work on myself tried lots of different modalities, right? Like I tried fighting back. I tried laying down in complete surrender and almost being like rolled over, like steamrolled. 
Neither of those served me very well. And I do a good job of it. Like she really can trigger me into unconsciousness. It's more that she can still get to me in certain ways, but I don't go unconscious. And I really work to pray for her, kind of bless her, and also kind of remember the truth that I chose her, that she is my teacher, that this is serving me, that this is for me, right? And so just kind of come back with like consciousness is I think the thing that I've been doing for most of these recent years. And I think the nice shift that you helped me get to, Olivia, as we did our work together was working towards more of like empathy and compassion for her and trying to picture her as the wounded inner child that she really is in a lot of ways and just seek to understand her and see that child in her that's scared and hurt and traumatized and love her and shine love onto her as much as I can. And if not that, at least to shine consciousness onto her, to shine the truth back at her, even if, you know, she's not capable of receiving it right now. That is very powerful. I can vouch for the same. I think that with this work, you not only feel a lot of empathy and compassion for yourself, you really let that inner child come out and say your story. And then as a result of that, you can turn around and have compassion for those that hurt you in the Mm -hmm. past. I was able to forgive my father through one of the journeys that we did. Mm. So thank you for sharing that. Um, It's very inspiring. And it just keeps me motivated to keep doing this work because I have yet to find all the things that work for me. I'm still being triggered by a lot of things in my life. And so I'm still on the third phase of the journey, which is, you know, aligning with my purpose. And I'm still working through a lot of these motions. So it's good to, Mm. to know that you eventually find something that works for you and you have to keep on working at it, you know? Yeah. I think for me, it's like when I think about the Eckhart Tolle concept of ego and pain body, right? Or I think of the ego sometimes as like the opponent, which is like more a more Kabbalistic way to think about it. Like mystical Judaism, pain body can also be connected to the inner child, right? And those are like the main competing parts that are competing with our higher self, those and like the animalistic side of us. And they operate in different ways. Like the ego is more centered in the mind and the pain body or the inner child is more in the emotions and the body. But I kind of look at it as like the work with either is the same. You can hear those thoughts, you can feel those feelings, but really do the work to just not become those thoughts or those feelings, not let them take the steering wheel, right? Mm -hmm. And I've gotten really good at this point at not letting them kind of take over completely. And if you can do that, if you can create enough space between you and the thought or the emotion, then you can act consciously and intentionally towards, you know, an outcome that you desire, even if you're feeling those things. And it's just so important. And I talk about it all the time in my coaching, like to know that you are not your thoughts and you're not your emotions and to question those things. And if you can do that, if you can maintain that consciousness, then you can just end up going in really, really powerful directions. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy. It is the work, right? Yeah, but, it is but, the work. And there's much more work behind that too, right? Because mm-hmm. even with that, to me, there's like a whole layer of then, okay, when those feelings come up, for example, like for me with the ego, it's simpler. It's like, don't become those thoughts, question them. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the answer, in my view, is do the opposite of what that ego is telling you, right? It's pretty much always pointing you in the exact wrong direction. All right. I usually <laughs> have to play out about five different scenarios. Yeah. Like, okay, no, no, no. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> so it's like, that's not easy, but it's pretty damn simple. Yeah. yeah. And I do tons of coaching. Usually my coaching starts there because it's like, once you understand that and you can 
develop the muscles and the skills to separate from your thoughts. And then all you have to do is build the fortitude to go in the opposite direction from them, which again, isn't easy, but it's a simple formula. The emotional inner work is a whole different beast in my mind, right? Like that is, okay, now that emotion is there. You don't want to ignore it or go against it like you do the ego. You want to bring it up, feel it and work with it and hold space for it and heal it. And that is just such a more complex and nuanced thing that I'm still working on. Yeah. Yeah. I think the masculine energy, it's a lot more difficult to let that emotion come up and come Mm -hmm. out. And I want to hear about the challenges that sort of your experience with your mom have presented you in your life and business and, you know, and maybe love relationships and stuff like that. But I want to mention that we were having a dinner with strangers mm-hmm. and there was this guy there who coincidentally also had a major mother hunger situation. And we were talking about how you handle hostility from people. And then he, so he went into like, you know, his experience with his mom and he's like, and I don't know if this is helpful or if it's like disassociation. It was pretty interesting. He was like, you know, he's like from Bosnia. He's like, I usually try to have like an out of body experience. He's like, so when it's happening, he's like, I just kind of see myself floating above the situation and seeing so like, so that when her like missiles are firing, they're just kind of attacking like the Mm -hmm. surface, right? And they're not like hitting the spirit or the Mm -hmm. soul because that's like the one who's just observing things happening. I love that. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Also sounds not easy, but yeah, (laughs) I'm just gonna separate myself from my body. You're like, (laughs) you're not hurting me. I'm here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I know that one of this sort of symptoms that I've seen in these situations is of a challenge with being able to open up your heart mm-hmm. to people, to life, to situations, because from a very early age, you have to protect it mm-hmm. with all that's mm-hmm. in you. Yep. And so that just kind of actually just correlates with your brain maturing is like your heart is maturing with this like wall around it and I know what that was like too man Mm -hmm. because not only am I like a cancer crab with like this shell by nature you know like then I made mine extra thick like this super stone wall around my heart Mm -hmm. for a really really long time so has that been something that you've experienced (laughs) (laughs) almost like you know the answer (laughs) yes it has and I'm still working on it. It's a weird thing. Like, I feel like my journey has really blown open my like crown and third eye chakras. And because I have such a strong connection to the divine in that way, I'm able to naturally do a lot of really aligned and conscious and loving things through that modality. But I've been noticing, you know, as I go deeper in this journey, I didn't know that, I didn't realize my heart was closed for most of my life, right? And But as I've gone through this journey more, I'm like, I haven't been able to understand, like, why can I not feel that same kind of connection in my heart? Like, actually, physically, in my heart, I don't feel it, even though I can be very loving. And I think the work that I've done in recent months has definitely kind of removed some of the armor and is starting to kind of open that up. But there's a lot more to do still, I can tell. And it's just crazy how like that energy blockage can be there, right? And I even got some energy work done a couple months ago, like not long after we did our 
session with someone who's just amazingly talented and she saw some like really powerful, dark kind of energy there that she removed. And I know she removed it because I was completely discombobulated for weeks afterwards. Like it really affected me. Yet there's still something there, you know, like it's like there, I just like there's layer upon layer upon mm-hmm. layer of stuff. And so, yeah, it's something I will not let go of. It's something I will continue working on. My sense, my hope is that, you know, one of my big intentions for, you know, the coming time is to define my partner, like the person that I kind of came into this world to share this life with. And my hope is that she can help me, you know, open it up further and further. But I also know that there's more work I need to do to open it up before I can draw her in. And so I'm just going to continue on that path. Like I have every part. One thing I will say to like everyone out there who's like doing whatever kind of work you're doing on yourself, like something I've realized is you run into these situations where something seems completely immovable. It's not like a, oh, I'm going to get really good at XYZ physical activity, right? Like there's these things that seem like they just are a part of you and they're impossible. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like in your mind, again, the ego is so good at telling you like, you're never going to get there. Mm. Fixed mindset as opposed to growth. Yeah. And it's like, because the, and it requires so much faith, right? Because there isn't a prescription. There isn't a go to the gym X times a week and do this. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just like, follow the path, keep doing the work, trust the people and the books and the podcasts and, you know, (laughs) all the things that life is sending you. And like, you will get there. And I've seen it in so many other areas, like things that I really that my mind really was very set on you will never get there that I've gotten there and some of them took years and years to get to right but so I know that there's a path leading me there I know that everything is perfect in every moment and it's just like it's just about following the path to get there Mm -hmm. the untethered soul is so good about like really explaining what it feels like opening and closing and what it means to be open and closed and how to keep it open no matter what by just making Mm -hmm. the conscious effort and I have been tempted to like slam shut my heart recently (laughs) and I could feel it you feel it it's like a tightening of the chest yeah and I think a really good practice is to think about So I know you were also kind of in a relationship recently. Mm -hmm. And to think about if there was a time in that period when you felt like your heart was open to her. Yeah. Somewhat, you know, and just kind of like remember that open feeling. Mm -hmm. And then also be conscious of when you feel it like tightening and closing, maybe when you're talking to your mom or like depending on like what the situation is. Because if you really tune into it, you can feel like this opening and closing. And then you just practice like getting, remembering that time when it was open. Okay, and then what was happening in that situation to like make it open. And then you start to get familiar with open and closing, open and closing. And then you can start to see like the triggers that cause you to close it because you do get triggered still like in life, you know, and that can either reinforce Mm -hmm. some of the armor and you can consciously decide not to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and no, let's not put that back there, you know, and just to make sure that you're not like doing back, you know, some of the progress that you've done. But it's like really like this physical connection that you're having with your heart where you're starting to get to know it's like, way it works, it's patterns of like opening and closing is it's just this like valve of energy or whatever. 
Yeah. And something else that I've noticed recently, just to like add one last thought. So my kind of belief is that wherever resistance is trying to get me not to go, that's exactly where I need to go. Like, and if I ever don't know where to go, walk towards resistance and fear. And what I've been noticing with my heart, and I've always thought about them more in like the mental side, but what I've been noticing with my heart recently is there's like moments where I feel very resistant to like even trying to open my heart. Mm. And so starting to look at... What's an example of that? An example is with my dog, actually, recently. Like, recent months, she's been doing a lot of things to, like, test my patience. She's a 12-year-old dog. I've had her forever. She's amazing. Super high energy for 12. And she's just been doing a lot of things to, like, try my patience, like, in general. And then, like, coming to me in, like, moments when I'm, like, engulfed in a challenge that I'm trying to solve or work or whatever. And it just kind of, like get away from me, give me space, you know? And like stopping in those moments and being like, wait, wait, this is exactly that much resistance to her coming and just wanting a little love. That's exactly where you should be fucking doing this, you know? And so finding a way to push, it's like counterintuitive because it's like push through the resistance to give someone love and open your heart. But when I've done that, I've been able to get there. So I need to do a lot more of that and just look at it the same way as I look at any other area of resistance. Yeah, because that's essentially what it means to create coherence between your heart and mind. So your mind has its neural pathways, which connect to the heart and how we communicate, right? So if you're... If you're used to the pattern of resistance and closing off in situations, that's just become like your default mode. Mm -hmm. And so it takes conscious effort and repetition Mm -hmm. to like not go there. And it's really hard, especially when you're really triggered and you can feel yourself physically like withdrawing and closing to not let that happen even if it takes like a couple hours or a day or whatever. But I think that the more you do that in those difficult situations, Mm -hmm. the easier it comes to open. And then you can have this really powerful moment where it just, it happens. But I think that that's also why we don't get the breakthrough right away sometimes that we want, especially like in plant medicine and stuff like that, because sometimes it would be like cutting the cocoon when that's not our journey. Our journey is to actually do the conscious work Mm -hmm. of making it happen. Yep. So like, I'm interested in, for instance, in your life, just because I know that there's so many people out there who experience and have experienced this, like, you know, this armor around their heart and how that's affected them in their life. And I think that they can relate to your story. So if you have like maybe specific examples of how that's affected you and you're maybe in work and in your relationships and stuff like that. Honestly, the biggest thing that I know is true is that, you know, like for a long time on my journey, I wasn't pursuing a partner because I knew that I was becoming the person that I was supposed to be. And, you know, why would I try to find the right person when I'm not the right person yet? But over the last year, I've felt I am that person. And so I'm ready to find that person and haven't found that person yet. Right. And I think a huge part of it is life, my higher self telling me, no, you need to open your heart first, right? And so I think part of it is like not even in relationships. It's like preemptively stopping me from finding the relationship because I still haven't been able to open my heart. But certainly, I mean, when I was young before this journey, you know, I was, I think I was just very selfish and closed off. And, you know, what I thought was love was more often, most of the time was just need and attachment. You know, I have one relationship in particular 
that actually is the one that helped me get on this journey that where I really do feel like I experienced that true love, which, which is unconditional you know, service and being there for the other and taking care of the other and not thinking about what you can get in return. And then in the time since, I have noticed like even in the most recent relationship I had, I was really like, if you asked her, because she has told me this, like she felt very seen and loved and taken care of. But I found myself so many times, like when she was telling me some traumatic thing that she had been through or just like, things about her life that were really painful for her. I just remember thinking to myself inside, like, I know this is awful. Why can't I feel anything? Mm. Right. And like, I it's like, I want to, and I'm, I'm there for her. I'm saying the right things, but in my heart, I'm not feeling what I should be feeling for a person that falling in love with. And, you know, it's a mind fuck to be in that space. And it just signals to me that there's much, much more work to be done around that. How do you experience and react to like in your body? Like, for instance, when you guys like broke up or in the past when you would break up, like, was it like a numbing? Was it a just... So in the past there, yeah, there was a shutting down in breakups. This one... So actually, it didn't actually feel like your heart was like breaking, kind of. Like it was just more like... It was more a numbing. I'm sure there was some element of brokenheartedness but it was more in past relationships. It depends on the relationship and the circumstances and all the rest, but I think it was more a numbing, kind of just like a figure out a way to brush that out and move on. Yeah. This actually, this most recent one, which was a really significant short relationship, but a really significant one that impacted me in a lot of ways. We actually told each other we loved each other for the first time on the night that we broke up, like after we decided to break up. And that night was one of the most, if not the most, biggest heart opening experiences of my life. And so that was a really unique thing where, you know, it would have been much easier to go in there and do that thing that I'd done in the past. And instead, I like saw her and felt for her and empathized with her and opened my heart to her like I wasn't able to do before. And it was a really beautiful and powerful experience. It was like the most conscious and beautiful, hard conversation I've ever had. It was so filled with love and so heart opened. I remember texting you like shortly mm -hmm. after that, mm -hmm. it was right before our session together. I'm really grateful for that experience. You know, it made the ensuing months a lot harder because my heart was cracked open and mm -hmm. also broken, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't trade it at all. I mean, I'm so happy that happened. To me, it's a signal of progress. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like that gave you the closure you needed to move on, even though it was hard afterwards? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it gave me the closure. It gave me what I needed, right? It gave me the tools for the work that would ensue in the coming months. Mm. Actually, some other things that happened afterwards when I kind of ran into her and she like sent me some messages that were so heartfelt and like loving and kind in a way that she was never able to be in our time together either. And kind of talking about how much of an impact I had on her, all that together added up to give me a lot of closure, but it gave me the opposite of closure in the moment. I think it just like, like opened <laughs> okay, me yeah. up and made me really vulnerable, <laughs> yeah. but able to do the work. Right. Yeah. yeah. What changed after that? Do you know, like, did you feel like a shifting of your heart closing back up? Was it just like a momentary heart opening experience? Like what was the shifting afterwards? So like I had that and then I had some other really painful things that happened like in rapid succession. And so it was just like 
a heartbreak and then another heartbreak and then some other really painful, heart-wrenching things. I think I like kind of went in and out of, it was so hard to tell, right? Because your heart's open, your heart's breaking, your heart's open, your heart's breaking and you're doing work and you're also just feeling all this pain. And at some point it just became really hard to know where I was at. And then I also got that energy work done on my heart. And so there was just so many different layers of things happening that it almost felt like just this roller coaster that I just needed to be on. And I didn't even know up from down most of the time, you know? Yeah. And also a part of like your subconscious mind or your ego could be like, this is what happens when you open up, you know, you get hurt and you become vulnerable. But those could also be looked at as like little tests of, you know, your wherewithal to keep your heart open, even amidst the pain and the attacks. Yeah. It's the hardest to do. Yeah. I think like the biggest thing I need to learn in this arena is how to like energetically keep my heart open, right? I still don't have that tool where it's like I can consciously focus there and open it or keep it open. I'm grateful that I went through all that because I think it's giving me the initial, you know, material to get there, but not there yet. Hmm. So I'm dating somebody and he has this avoidant pattern and then it triggers this like anxious touch on me. And I just had to go for like a run this morning and I just first like really like doused myself with like gratitude, like in the creation and then like started to shift that to him, even though I like didn't want to. And like I just said a million things that I wanted to say and I could really feel my heart just like, (laughs) don't do it, like close back up. And so just like getting to a place of like gratitude for like everything that has happened so far and everything that I've been learning you know, then that conscious decision to not close my heart, like not, I'm like, I'm not going to, like, it hurts really bad, but I'm not going to, like, you've come so far, like, just keep like imagining, you know, I don't know. And it was just like this constant, like dialogue and like connecting with my heart and then trying to get step back into love. And then it's just like all of this, like tidal wave or some love, just emotion just sort of started to pass through me. And then I was able to like, have a talk with him that was from a more open-hearted understanding and Mm. empathetic space. Beautiful. Which, you know, like the old me would have just like (laughs) fled. This is all making you stronger. So, yeah. It's all (laughs) making that heart of yours just, you know, palpitate faster and better. (laughs) Keep staying open. Keep staying open. So part of the work that we did was around limiting beliefs. Have you seen a shift? Yeah, we did some really interesting work there. That's an area that I've, worked on a lot to kind of reprogram my mind over the years. So that was like a really like nice continuation of mm-hmm. things that I've been doing for a long time. But it was nice to kind of go back because I hadn't really gone back in a while and really thought about what are the limiting beliefs I'm still holding. What would you say is one of the most prevalent ones? So one of the biggest would be that I mean, there's all this stuff around the heart still, right? So there's like limiting belief around I'm not capable of opening my heart, but we spent a lot of time there already. Another one would be that like success needs to be hard, that like achieving what you want to achieve needs to be hard or is hard. And it's something I'm still working on. I could tell how like deeply ingrained that is from so many different places in so many different ways. But like, I've just been getting this really powerful sense recently that I know the truth, right? Like I know, we talked about like, to me, like there's like three phrases that sum up the truth of the capital T 
for me better than anything else in it. There's only God. Everything is perfect. Victory is certain. And I know that is true. Like through my lens of reality, it's true. So why on earth would I ever feel stressed or fear or push too hard, you know, when I should be just playing the game out of pure love and joy for the game because I know that it, everything is perfect and the victory is certain, right? So it's like, so go out there and just play full out and free. And so that's something I've been working on a lot, trying to kind of remind myself of and shift into because you can know that truth consciously all you want. But if then you go to do the things that you're doing in life and still tense up, you know, or find yourself going you know, trying to force situations or force outcomes or just find yourself getting stressed out about things that in the end of the day never end up, you know, mattering, you know, it's just not worth it. So that's an area that I'm really focused on right now. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the exercises that he did was write down the limiting beliefs and then convert them to the more empowering Mm -hmm. statement. So what would be like the opposite of that? I mean, I could probably read for you what I exactly... Success read. is hard. <laughs> right. It's the opposite of that. I mean, to me, the opposite isn't the like necessarily the exact opposite, but it's actually what I just said. It's that everything is perfect and victory is certain. And the journey we're on is leading us to exactly right. where we're supposed to be. And so just go out and enjoy the journey. Why choose suffering yeah. through it? Yeah, that's so true. What is some main limiting beliefs that you have or prevalent ones? Right now, as I was thinking about this, is um, the fact that, or not the fact, but thinking that all my ducks need to be in a row in order for me to go out and to, you know, go out and tell my clients how to be healthier because that's my main focus is as a health coach and as a personal fitness trainer, I try to, you know, be at my healthiest and try to influence my clients to be their healthiest. But for me, I feel like I have to have everything, everything, I'm a perfectionist. So I feel like everything has to be aligned correctly, all in order, you know, super organized for me to be able to tell someone else what to do. I think one of my limiting beliefs is that I'm not smart enough. I constantly feel like I'm not smart enough. And I forget that I have a lot on my plate. I forget that I am doing work every day to be better than the person I was yesterday. And that is enough for where I'm at right now in life. And I'm going to... Not only that, but you have achieved some incredible feats through your life and have gotten so far to where you are today. It's amazing. I think one of the reasons why I feel like I'm not smart enough is because I'm constantly hanging out with people that are smarter than me, (laughs) which is a good thing. Or you perceive they're smarter than you. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I think it's a good thing. I think that I'm, you know, I'm constantly trying to look for people that are that are doing good things, that are doing better things so that I can learn off of those people. And I do find myself constantly thinking, well, I'm not there yet, you know, but I'm, I'm happy where I'm at right now. I have to remind myself of that. I'm in a good place. Yeah, it's that ego opponent, right? It just does a really good job of making us feel like the not blank enough is just like the <laughs> like the textbook opponent, yeah. you know, tactic. And the reality is what you were born with is exactly what you were supposed to be born with, mm. right? And what you can develop, like you will be led as long as you're open and willing and you have the desire to get there, you will be led to all the things that you're supposed to cultivate to add on top of all the, you know, naturally 
God-given gifts that you were born with. But it's so easy to fall into that trap of, of the mind, especially in relation to comparison, right? Like, it's just so easy to look at others who have maybe one thing, like one area that we don't have and just like spiral down into like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. And it's amazing how that mind works. Yeah. What is one of your favorite things about being a coach? For me, I feel like I'm doing God's work. In those moments, I feel like I'm exactly where I need to be and I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And I feel that on multiple levels. Like one is I'm in service to others, supporting them and their growth and evolution, right? And like, I can't really think of something more beautiful or a more worthy use of my time than helping people connect to their higher self and their highest destiny, right? And that's being a channel for the light in the world. And I know it's like, yes, that. And how I know it's so exactly what I'm specifically supposed to be doing because it's the one area more than any other thing I've ever done in my life, I feel like I'm in complete flow where I just feel like I'm a complete channel. And I've sensed that from the, like the very first time I coached, even when I didn't really know what coaching was or how to do it, but I showed up in service and I just wanted to help this person that life put in front of me to serve. I found that hours went by. I didn't think, I didn't try. It just happened. And even though I'd spent hours talking to someone, I left feeling like I could run a marathon right now. Like I could do that (laughs) for the next 24 hours, you know, like it was so energy building. So empowering. Yeah. Such a high that you get after speaking to a client. So do you work with the client until they have a breakthrough? Is that how it's set up or is it? No. So the way I structure it as kind of, it's a monthly thing that we kind of go until one or both of us feels it's run its course. Or we've achieved some, you know, we've gotten them to where they want to be. So it's not really with an intention in mind. You know, I've had engagements that lasted a few months. Most of my engagements last a year or more. Because I find that, like, the focus of what we work on is constantly shifting. Depending on who the person is and where they're at on their journey, we start at very different points often. But if I'm working with someone who's early on in their journey, it's a ton of mindset work and kind of ego opponent work and starting to create that separation I talked about with the mind and the thoughts and questioning them. But the way that I kind of look at it is like, I really do believe life is giving us our curriculum in every moment. I think that the only thing that life is ever doing 100% of the time is giving us opportunities to evolve in consciousness, basically, to learn, to grow, to evolve. Every up, every down, it's all for that. And Life gives us the curriculum. So what I encourage my clients to do is like pay close attention to what's going on in your life in between our sessions. Especially note the lows and the highs because those kind of peak experiences are the biggest signals of like the messages and the work to be done. And then come back and let's talk about them. We'll learn from them. We'll extract the messages and the lessons and the opportunities for growth. And then you go out into the world and you do that again and again. It it can go on for years if both sides want it. So I love to kind of leave it open and see where it leads. And sometimes it gets clear, like life has kind of guided us that this is a good end point for now. And you go out on your own. And I've had that too when I've been coached. Like I've had moments where I felt it's time to take a break and do my own coach myself and do my own work. There are times where it's really, really great to have someone alongside my journey, even if it's not like breakthroughs all the time, just someone to share with and reflect with and all the rest. 
Speaking of highs and lows, have you struggled at all with depression and anxiety in your life? And if so, like, how did you handle that? Yeah, I think I struggled a lot with that early on in my life. Let's say starting in my 20s. So like I was really good at like escaping from negative thoughts and feelings in my youth, just through different modalities of numbing and escaping. And like high school and especially college were really great avenues for me to like get out of my own shit and just experience fun and pleasure. And so much of my life was just about experiencing pleasure early on. Once I was like out in the world after college and working, I found I couldn't really escape as easily anymore, but I tried my best. You know, I, most of my 20s were spent either like working or escaping. I'm very fortunate to have had like a very powerful life-altering spiritual experience in my early 30s that led me down a different course. But so until that point, especially in my 20s, I started to feel a lot of depression, anxiety. I was taking antidepressants for a while. I was taking anti-anxiety meds for a while. And all of that stuff naturally fell away as I started to go on my journey. Like once I started to realize that there's something bigger and it's guiding me to the life that I'm meant to be living. Like my 30s were definitely my hardest years as far as like the journey that I went on, the work that I was doing on myself, what I was forced to face in life in order to like cement the learnings that I was receiving. But I never really went through depression or long bouts of anxiety during that time because I had a belief that there was, I had faith, you know, and, and so that dissolved all of that. Mm. Yeah, very similar to my story in my, the podcast that we did. I talk a lot about faith and gratitude for me. Those are my top two yeah. things that get me over the hurdle of depression. In this yeah, it's amazing how like mm-hmm. medicines never work, never really worked. There were mm-hmm. Band-Aids that didn't really do much. Yeah, And the journey that I was on, just that level of faith, right? It just changes everything. And that was way, way, way before I ever considered plant medicine or anything else, right? That was just pure unadulterated faith based on learning and life experiences. And it just dissolved the need for those medications. It also dissolved the need for so many of the escape mechanisms that I had developed in my early life. And I didn't even really have to try it. They just kind of fell away. (laughs) How would you coach somebody through depression who has no belief in anything spiritual? Yeah, it's tough. I can coach people who would identify as not spiritual. I do it all the time. But like a complete atheist, there's nothing after this, blah, blah, blah. If that's the case, so this is how I kind of look at an ideal client for me. One is a growth mindset, Mm -hmm. right? So a desire to grow and a willingness to do what it takes and a belief that with enough effort, I will get there, right? That's to me like hurdle number one. Two is a willingness to question your thoughts and beliefs and stories and identities and all the rest. Mm -hmm. And three is probably the most important is, and once you've questioned those things and you've landed on something that's counter to those things, a willingness to do something about it, which is the really hard and big leap, right? Like, because often, like we said, it requires doing the opposite of what your thought or your story is. And that, if you're really identified with it and you're really attached to it, is a really hard leap to make. Right. So to me, if you have those elements, I can coach you really well from my experience, regardless of whether you believe in a higher power or not. Because if you have those elements, then you are open and you are willing to hear things that are different to what your beliefs are. The way I kind of do it, if I'm talking to someone who's not necessarily spiritual or they wouldn't classify that way, 
it's all about kind of the universal truths and principles that all of the different religions and philosophies and spiritual paths are pointing to regardless of which one you believe in, right? And there's a lot of notable, like people who have been impactful on my life that I would say probably don't identify as spiritual that live this way. Like Tim Ferriss is the example I always use, right? He's a guy that I've never heard him come out and say he believes in a higher power or anything like that. Although I've noticed in recent years, he's probably getting closer and closer mm, to, to I would that. say so, yeah. Yeah. But, Seems that way. But he definitely, from the time that I started following him, which is like when he, the four-hour work week, right? But from the very beginning, he is a guy who lives his life according to universal, like spiritual principles, mm-hmm. independent of why they exist mm-hmm. or, you know, any of that. And so people who are willing to do that, it doesn't matter if you believe in a higher power or not. It doesn't matter what you believe in. If you're willing to do that, which requires faith too, mm-hmm. but a different kind of faith, you know, it's just a different thing. I can work really well with you. All the way through people who obviously are very spiritual. I'm sure there are people who don't have that who could be coached through those types of things, but I don't think I'm the right coach for them. Right. And I resonate with that too. Like <laughs> growth mindset amongst the other things that you said is just number one. So yeah. Like everything for me. Is there any last minute questions that you have that you want to go over? No, I'm just super fascinated by you. <laughs> I think it's um, it's just amazing to have you. And I want to say thank you for being here, spending some time with us and letting us know your story and sharing some really useful things because I'm definitely going to listen back to this and try to apply some of this stuff to my own life. Of course. I really enjoy this. I would do this with you guys anytime. Yes, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, so Omri's been on quite a few podcasts and he goes into depth about some of the spiritual experiences that he's had in his life that have brought him to where he is today which are mind-blowing. Like he said, like the first couple weren't without any type of plant medicine or anything like that. I'm just amazing. Then, you know, he's had his experience with plant medicine. You said that you had like a couple breakthroughs this weekend? Yeah. So I turned 40 last month. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. (laughs) And my 40th year was just a seminal year in my life. As I turned 39 was right when I felt like I finally had become the person I came into this life to be. I just had this really clear knowing. It was years of work, but it felt like unintegrated almost. Like I was growing in so many different ways. I was learning so many things, but it hadn't like come together. Right after my 39th birthday, like I had like a month where it just felt like everything came together and it was just like, whoa, I have arrived. Like I'm finally here. And then like the very clear message I got after that was like, now it's time to start doing what you came here to do. And for me, that means a lot of different things. And so I started marching towards that, all of that, right? I have a very clear vision for my life and I started walking towards that. And I felt like in the last few months, this 40th Omer period that I was in was such a shattering of like my inner world in so many ways and like a breaking of the vessel to use like Kabbalistic terms that I really was convinced like, This challenging period, like this pain, like the giant breakthroughs are coming right after this. And then like my 40th, the Omer ended kind of without a bang, you know, like my 40th birthday came. It was nice. Um, (laughs) And it was like, I can't blow up my candle. Where is it? Nothing's happened. And like, instead of like breakthroughs, like new challenges came in and more feeling like stuck and Mm. not making mm. progress. And and I just found myself in such a dark, like head trash type place this last weekend, just like 
I'm not moving. Like, I'm not doing the thing I came here to do. Like, what is going on? And I just saw that opponent come at me so hard and basically try to convince me, you know, to build a golden calf, you know, essentially to bring it back to the beginning. I mean, but I remembered, obviously, as you know, as we talked about, I remembered what that means. And I remembered, okay, like, I don't know how the breakthroughs are going to come. I don't know when, but I know that like the darker it seems, the closer you are. And so I just hung in there, right? There was a temptation to escape. There was a temptation to go and just soothe and numb. And I didn't, I just sat in that pain and discomfort. And I went on long walks in like the hot, muggy Austin weather and just like thought and questioned, like, what are the messages? What are the lessons? And then I basically, what I got to was like, what are the things that I can control? What can I do to move myself forward? Because no one's coming to save me, right? It's like, this idea is like, it's one of my favorite, like David Goggins quotes, right? Like no one is coming to save you, but I do believe that like, that's true. And I also believe that, but when you go to start saving yourself, then you get saved, right? Do what you can and God will do what you can. Exactly. I had a long walk on like Sunday evening, sweating, just writing notes in my phone. And I just started writing out what are all the things that I can be doing? What are the levers that I can be pulling? And just like to start creating my own momentum. And in the ensuing days, I've just like had a renewed focus on like making sure that I'm doing all that I can in those realms. And as soon as I started doing that in like the next couple of days, like things started clicking and I started creating some momentum and started having some realizations about like, oh, I could go in this direction and oh, here's something that I can be doing. And then like an opportunity showed up and an idea for a future business showed up. And, you know, it was just like that thing. It was just like going and creating your own salvation. Co-creating the answers to your prayers, I like to say, right? Yeah, which also reminds me of the thing which you told Autumn, which really impacted her, which she told me and which was, you said, I think that the thing is not to pray for deliverance, but to pray for the strength to get through the situation Mm -hmm. you're in or Mm -hmm. something like that, which is just so powerful Mm -hmm. because I feel like that's so much of what people are, even with the plant medicine work, it's like, I just want that download deliverance. (laughs) You know, or whatever. But there's so much that we can be doing. And it takes massive action after these journeys, after these things. Like, that's when the work starts Mm -hmm. for you to be able to really integrate and get all of the the benefits Mm -hmm. from, from, at least that's been the case with me. Yeah, I always say, so like, to my spiritual clients who are into prayer and things like that, I find that often, and it's something that I did early on too, was praying to be removed from the situation. Mm. Right. Mm. And it's like, we're praying for that person to be removed from your situation. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Praying for the, the, the circumstances yeah. to change instead yeah. of praying that you can change mm-hmm. through the circumstances. Totally. Right. Yeah. And that is the shift. It's not what can I receive? It's like, how can I transform through this? What are the messages? What are the lessons? What are the opportunities? What can I do? Because there's only a finite number of things that are within our control and focusing there and saying, give me the strength, give me the lessons. That is the prayer. Right. Mm-hmm. That's an align. I always say aligned prayers get answered, mm-hmm. but an aligned prayer isn't give me this outcome that I want. Right. An aligned prayer is make me the person I'm supposed to be. Right. Totally. Yeah. God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Awesome. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you guys. Yeah. We love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll hopefully talk to you next week. Have yes. another amazing guest. I think it's going to be Bill Eggers, uh, somebody else who's visiting from DC that's done a couple journeys with us. He's a well-known author, so we're excited to have him on too. Yes, All right. Well, have a great weekend, everybody. Bye.